happy Monday, and welcome back to another exciting week of the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So, Jim, here we go into Minute 61. Yeah. We're into the second hour. The second hour. Yes. <laughs> 61 minutes into this. It's, it's incredible. And we're back in a dog's head. Yes. We're in the head of the dog. And Cliff, yeah. is, uh, Cliff is about to do some more rocketeering here pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's getting used to it now. So he's getting it all strapped in. And like uh, Billy Campbell was saying uh, before, you never see him start to finish. He's always just right. finishing up. He's just finishing it. Exactly. Because look at the complexity of that. <laughs> the harness through the appellates, behind the sort of double-breasted thing. I would think you'd have uh, to it have looks like fantastic, a dresser. But, yeah. You need somebody uh, else to, to do that for you, I would think. But, absolutely. And that's, yeah, what, that's why that's why PB shows up. And I've still, that that really is, the more I look at that vest, it is just a suit with the sleeves cut off. There's, there's like <laughs> pieces is. sticking out of it. And yeah, it just looks like something PB was at a, at a drawing board and working away and, you know, maybe noticed a little snag and just got frustrated and gave a sleeve a tug. And the next thing you know, he had yeah. a vest. <laughs> now it's a vest. Right. Yeah. You know, it just, it hits me that all I need to do is cut the sleeves. I have a, I have a gray suit. I could probably do that too. I've already got the mustache and the gray hair. I think I could be peavy. There you go. Yeah. Just take the sleeves off and then, uh, and if you have a house, we know how you can convert that into a gazebo. Gazebo, so yeah. it's all about repurposing this man. Peavy's trying to convince Cliff this is the wrong thing to do. Cliff is explaining to him how it all works. He can go down and, uh, and help her. We can down, down at the nightclub in five minutes. Right. Yeah, he was telling him, take a cab, which I wonder what that would have done to the pacing of the film. It's, you know, it's just, I got to get down there. Okay, I'll call a cab. You know, yeah. now we know the bus service around here is really good. When, right, uh, that's true. Yeah. You know, because they don't even slow down when it's time to hop on, as we saw Jenny <laughs> yeah. getting on, leaving the bulldog. But, uh, yeah, you're off to Hollywood. It, yeah. it can't be that far from Hollywood, I would think. It, well, no, it at least be. over a hill. We know. I still think it's Burbank, and, but we've we've seen other, you know, we've seen recent stuff where... It's kind of in LAX. It's in the middle of LAX, which sure. would be very far away. But somewhere in in movie LA, he's just over the hill. He's yes. on the other side of the Getty, uh, where they're going to build the uh, the Getty Museum. So I'm I'm guessing he's at Universal Studios. There's some mis- mystical uh, airfield there. That that would make sense. Yeah, it's kind of interesting in this uh, this minute too that the little, not nicknames, but just sort of the the way that the, the Cliff and Peavy address each other. Like you know, Peavy's telling him because Peavy is really exasperated. He's about as worked up as we see him. In in, in this film you know he said you know we had an agreement son and it's, it's just what he calls him him son he's 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 angry but there's this little bit of affection there too it's sort of familial affection and then you know a couple lines later cliff is right back and say you know brother you've got my word on it and it's it's interesting they're just these guys are family but uh my in my head the backstory that i'm hearing is is that peavy was friends with cliff's dad I get that. I, I get that strong yeah. feeling, and then he's like an uncle to him, right? And he's always been there, and you know, probably a mentor for for Cliff as he's going into aviation and things like that. It just you know, we don't we don't need to know what that is, but I get that exact same vibe, and it uh, it does seem to resonate and provide kind of an undercurrent through the whole film. Yeah, and I mean the the age on the actors is right. I mean, I'm picturing uh, uh, Billy Campbell was probably about ten years old when Alan Arkin was in. Uh, catch 22 so right. it's it, it seems about right that 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 distance of age uh, he is he's pv is kind of his obi-wan exactly yeah his uh slightly crankier and more cantankerous obi-wan yeah <laughs> 
he he does convince her convince him for the simple reason that he says, "Well, I love her, Peeve." Right. And it's it's kind of an odd reaction though that he says, "Well, does she, you know, does she know that?" Yeah, that, you know that that's funny though because that was a that's a, a pretty common trope in uh, in movies of the I. I'll take a stab, say sort of 30s to the 50s kind of thing. It seemed like later, you know, later stories, we, we sort of moved past that. But there was a huge deal where the, the a turning point of the film might be when the guy finally admits, yes, I like this girl, you know, or you know, like or love or whatever. It, yeah, the, the Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed moment with the telephone, things like that. Yeah, that exactly. Like people are kind of convinced, exactly. convincing each other that, yes, that's the actual way they're feeling about it. And it's it's kind of odd to have this quiet moment this questioning moment this emotional moment in the middle of what's ostensibly an, an action film it strengthens things a little bit it you know i i from from minute one and even certainly in the graphic novels uh but especially the film the way it was brought to life you know i, I spend I, I spent this movie that first time in the theater um vacillating between uh you know just sort of wanting wanting to be cliff secord or at least wanting to be friends with him. But then you, you stop and look at it, and he's he's not the most thoughtful guy. He hasn't done the best job so far, and we've talked about this before. Of, yeah, he, he's a bit self-centered. And right. he doesn't really understand the uh, people around him, how they're thinking. It, it's mostly about his actions and what he can do to, to get it his way. Right. And Jenny seems to be far more accepting and forgiving of, of his uh, certainly uh, certainly risky and not necessarily stable career as a, as a aspiring air race pilot or, you know, ongoing air race pilot. And But he's, you know, as we've said, he's pretty dismissive of, of her role as an actress. And at least she's in films. That's not, you know, that's not a small thing. And if she was up for a role with a line... For somebody who was uh, as as Jennifer Connelly was at the time the movie was made, you know, nineteen year old actress actually working that's, in a Dis- oh, in a Disney tentpole movie. That's, that's yeah, pretty darn exactly, good. exactly. Or even in a movie like uh, The Laughing Bandit. Yeah. So even just playing some scenery <laughs> alongside the number three box office star in America. Yeah, you get a line or two, you're you're yeah. okay. So yeah. So really, I think uh, in some ways she's ahead of him. Although whatever whatever successes Cliff and PB had to get to the point where they could, uh, you know, they they use the term build when they talk about the GB, and that's that's not uncommon, but it, that almost certainly would have meant uh, restoring. Because, you know, it is a GB. We're not somehow pretending that Cliff and Peavy designed that airplane. They, they probably modified it quite a bit. But a lot of times you you to get a basket case airplane, a vintage airplane, and, you know, you've got a, a, a crate full of parts and a data plate. You, you're technically restoring it, but really at the end of the day, you think of it as building because you're manufacturing so many new parts and things. So they could, certainly could have looked at their GB project as something they were building and then, you know, didn't end well. It's core, yeah. It's core like uh, George Washington's axe. He replaced the handle five times and the and the blade three times. It's right. Really, yeah. What are you left with? Things to deal with. And of course, this this particular the X three here is in not a great shape. They found out about the bullet, which uh, apparently happened that one time when they were all wrestling with stuff downstairs. Right. Yeah. The X three was sitting upstairs and picked up a ricochet. Yeah. So uh, they've got to they've got to do something about it. Of course, they, there's the engineering solution, and then there's the uh, the immediate solution, right? Which yeah. uh, in this case happens to be a, a stick of Beeman's gum. Which we've talked a little bit about Beeman's in the past. Uh, one of the things that uh, it, it's funny looking about it on the internet is that Beeman's gum is currently associated with being the aviator's gum because right. we've seen it in this movie. We've of course seen it uh, famously in the Right Stuff yeah. with uh, Chuck Yeager always asking for a piece of Beeman's. But uh, and we see it in excuse me, we see it in Tomorrowland. Yeah, uh, in Tomorrowland with, with the the jetpack and uh, 
you know, hello to our friends at the Indiana Jones minute even shows up in Indiana Jones and the kingdom of the movie we usually don't talk about. (laughs) (laughs) The last one. Yeah. But, uh, but here, here we're, we're seeing it here. But from what I understand, the only relationship that it has with airplanes is from people who've recently put it in movies about airplanes. <laughs> that it really doesn't have a, it doesn't have a long-lasting relationship in the past. Mo- mostly in the past, Beeman's was about you've got a tummy ache and you should eat uh, Beeman's gum to calm it down because of the uh, magic ingredient pepsin. Now, as I understand it, so we see it in the right stuff, and you know Jaeger bumming a stick of Beeman's uh, off the guy. There's, it, it is my understanding that there was, that was at least based uh, to some degree on some truth. And so there was, you know, there was that, you know, Beeman started in, in what, the late 1800s or something like that. But I think by the late 40s and, and things in there, there was an association with it because of that sort of antacid and uh, sense for aviation. But it was never, it was never marketed as, you know, the gum for pilots or things or certainly that I'm aware of. Yeah, mostly it's about smoking. I think if you see right. pictures of pilots and stuff, it's either smoking or you know different kinds of brands exactly. of cereal and such. Yeah, I mean, and, and Beeman's itself came from the Adams Gum Company, which was one of the oldest gums that, of the modern, the modern style gums that we eat. Um, going, if you want, we'll go, we'll go a little bit through the uh, the history of chewing gum here. But the the common gum here was chewed with uh, material called chicle that came out of uh, a bunch of different uh, trees, mostly that were grown in. Um, Central America and uh, n- Northern South America that, uh, you know, things like Wrigley's Double Mint Gum, all those, the, the Adams Gums that, uh, that we talked about previously, the Blackjack Gum and uh, Beeman's and and even the Clove Gum. Chickle was a, a sticky gum, but it, it, it's funny, I was in reading about how far back they've actually found out that people have been chewing gum for well over like 6,000 years. They found in archaeological digs, they found tooth marks in birch bark tar, and apparently they, they had like multiple chews. So apparently they were using, you know, ancient uh, hunter gatherers were using birch bark to chew on or the, the, the gum that comes out of birch trees. And even then, uh, four out of five dentists surveyed were yeah. recommending birch for their patients who chewed bark tar. Yes, it gets, it gets the, 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 uh, the mammoth marrow right off. <laughs> mammoth marrow. <laughs> You know, it, it's really odd though when you when you read about some of the stuff. I didn't realize that the first gum that was common in, in the Americas, the you know, American Indians chewed it, but uh, the the other you know the colonization of white settlers and all that came in and, and followed the Indians' uh, lead by chewing spruce gum, the tar, the pitch that came out of a spruce tree. So really? they were basically chewing on like like hunks of turpentine, as they <laughs> to describe it, and. It's still available today. If you go to Amazon and look for spruce gum, you can buy all kinds of, you know, there's one called Tree Hugger Spruce Gum. So wow. it's this uh, organic, you know, paleo gum that you can chew on. So if you like the taste so, of uh, turpentine. <laughs> I was going to say, or you could just get a lot of styrofoam and yeah. soak that in turpentine and make your own. But yeah, I don't think that's the, something we recommend here on the Rocketeer Minute. Yeah. Well, not not that it gets much better, though, because once, the, you know, they switched to, they switched to chickle. That was what the, the Aztecs and the Incas used chickle. Ah. The, the center, which is latex, so you're chewing on latex, <laughs> and a lot of the, a lot of the gums in the early 20th, late late 18th or late 19th century, early 20th century used those. In '62, though, they switched over to uh, a type of a polymer ester that came out of uh, a poly- an ester is when you mix a uh, an alcohol with carboxyl acid, and uh, it forms this this glue. You know, esters, uh, uh, Elmer's glue is made out of an ester like that. So it's basically the gum that you're using now is a vinyl 
that's similar to the white glue that you use, you know, in, in schools and stuff. That's basically the base when you're when you're chewing bubble gum and things like that. It's it's a modified vinyl uh, that you chew nowadays. That that switch was such a such a big thing. Most of uh, like Wrigley's company used chicle from Guatemala, and they actually owned. They own gigantic uh, chicle plantations in Guatemala. In the early 50s, the government of Guatemala changed it so that the landowners couldn't be from outside the country, and they gave it to the uh, the local, you know, the farmers there. But at the time, Wrigley's didn't want to pay money to the farmers, so they they pulled out entirely and switched over to uh, this uh, vinyl-based gum that we use nowadays. And it just about wrecked the economy of Guatemala because they had all this chicle that nobody was using anymore. You know, things like like chiclets, chiclet gum was made out of chicle, but now sure. it's made out of uh, a bunch of different, uh, you know, types of uh, polymers. So different. <laughs> so it's not, not, it's not just, nice. None to of this think sounds, of. yeah, none of this sounds all that uh, that appealing. Yeah. Um, and it makes me wonder, you know, just last uh, was it last Thursday we had uh, John Bach from eBay on, and and we got those tops trading cards, and we were talking yeah. a bit about how you know even the non movie cards used to come with a stick of gum in there, and you know you remembered it initially more fondly than I did, and the more I thought about it, that yeah I remember chomping on that stuff, but you know if good gum is made from is made from polymers and vinyl, I wonder what yeah. that was made out of. I, I there's I mean it, it's made out of everything, mostly they're derived from paraffin and petroleum right. waxes. There's things such as, uh, I'm going to read a short list here, butadiene styrene, vinyl acetate, polyethylene. <laughs> it's also, what happens is they, they they have custom designed polyethylenes that are used to uh, maximize elasticity and incorporate other components of the gum base so you can put in flavors and sweeteners. Otherwise, you know, to get it to taste a little bit less like plastic. <laughs> so, exactly. And, and they have to make bubblegum a little different way from that so that it has uh, things called elastomers, which lets it stretch out. So here's a little bit of, uh, here's a little bit of host trivia for you it's not something that i admit uh, very frequently um, i'm not an avid gum chewer i certainly have you know have had gum many times over the years but i have never once successfully blown a bubble i'm completely baffled wow. by how you do it i i believe i am completely incapable of blowing a bubble with a piece of bubble huh. gum that is that is remarkable I, mean, I, I thought that was one of those basic things you're supposed to learn is that you know when you're buying tops bubblegum that tops bubblegum is particularly hard to blow bubbles with. well sure but even uh, i can remember trying hubba bubba and and those sorts of things bazooka Not even double uh, bubble double bubble um and now of course anytime you mention bazooka i think of those bazooka joe comics yeah. where you just i tried to laugh every time and they were so those jokes were so stale and uh, so yeah, so well, dry eventually over over yeah, it's almost the dry as the gum but it's, yeah, exactly uh, i always look for the fortune which uh i had a, a friend of mine growing up uh, who uh, passed recently but he was absolutely surprised that he he never he never knew there were fortunes at the bottom of bazooka uh, bazooka joe comics and once I pointed it out to him, he felt like he had missed hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of fortunes that had just passed right by him. So much powerful and good advice that he yeah. missed, missed out on. <laughs> Wear a smile today. Uh, so. <laughs> right. Anyway, oh, wow. a long, yeah, long time. So so this is, you know, we probably spent way too much time talking about gum, but that's hey, that's what we're here for. There's <laughs> no such thing as, as too much time on on any one topic. Uh, after reading uh, after reading up on the history of bubblegum, though, I really it's going to be a long time before I put some of this stuff in my <laughs> exactly. mouth. Exactly. Uh, it is it is interesting, but the word acetate with, and or vinyl for that matter, and and food matter. It's uh, <laughs> there gum base. It, the, the way it was described is a non nutritive, non digestible, water insoluble, mascut, mascut, masticatory delivery system. 
<laughs> wow. There's a slogan for you. Yeah. That's a, you got a future <laughs> give, in gum marketing with that one, Jim. <laughs> give me some of that. Yes. So, and, uh, the, good thing of, the good thing about it is it does stick to a uh, powder-coated uh, aluminum. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness <laughs> for that. And, uh, and you get enough of it on there. It is, uh, it is not watertight, alcohol-tight. Uh, yeah, apparently it can't the, be washed away with alcohol yeah. least, or, or whatever the fuel is. Or it's, using, it's, so. it'll, last, uh, it'll last a little bit. But, yeah. uh, and there's, we do get to see the gum again. It's moved again. It's it's now a blob on the right-hand side. Right. And uh, the last time we saw it, it was kind of flattened out across the middle. And at least this time, uh, Alan Arkin isn't re- reaching into uh, Billy's mouth yeah. to, to pry it out. Which So, yeah, it looks like Billy's saliva has held it on nice and tight. It's actually <laughs> yes. moved it a little bit, but um, maybe that was just from banging it to uh, Malcolm. So uh, oh. he gets it in there with a couple, couple good taps, <laughs> which I am guessing at that point, it, to me, it looks like Silly Putty, which is probably the same thing. I'm sure there's some kind right. of acetate that Silly Putty's made out of. Yeah, that you're not supposed to not supposed to eat. So now the uh, we're talking about the gum moving. Is it moving within this scene, or just moving from no? It, scene it to moved scene? from the last place we saw it when it was back there under the. I think the last time we saw it was underneath the lamp. Okay, right before the gazebo happened. That's right. Now he's uh, he's reattaching it to the left nacelle, so we're going to have to watch for it the next time. It, the next time we're yeah. back there, I believe that it. I, the next time we see the the left nacelle, I think we'll see it in the appropriate place. Yeah, I believe you're. I believe you're right. Of course, with that nice close up while PV is applying it there, you get a little peek at that uh, sort of copper colored cooling fan behind those veins, and just another one of those little design details that makes that makes that X3 just so cool to look at. Yeah, I do. I do like looking at the tops of the nacelles because you know, knowing now, oh yeah, from seeing the production features, that some of them were built so that those caps would open up as kind of a fuel cap system on each side. It just makes it that much neater. Yeah, that is absolutely amazing. You know, as we uh, as we go through this minute and just you keep, I, I've said so many times, I would love to have high res photos of these sets with the backgrounds in focus and just so much little set dressing has gone on both upstairs and downstairs you know right when uh, right when pv is reaching for the helmet we see that great old uh, sort of that cloth faced uh, portable radio sitting there and it's propped up looks like by uh, might even be like a frisbee pie tin or some kind of a tin and there's uh, there's three spare uh, bulldog menus just sitting there on one ah. of the crates and then uh, off to the right you can see that safeway ad that we've talked about before although we see a different section of it now you see the pink salmon and the corned beef presumably this is tacked up here because it's a newspaper article and there's something on that left column column and in the upper left of that but uh, i don't think we ever i don't think we get a good look at at what that is but at the safeway ad takes up the rest of the paper and then uh, as uh, as we had talked about a little bit offline as you look around the room you see uh, uh you see a box of kellogg's pep cereal which is one that i know jim you remember uh you remember from your childhood yeah being old I re- <laughs> being old <laughs> i can remember these things and uh pep it, cereal was if if memory serves it was kind of the the knockoff brand for Wheaties. I mean, it's a Kellogg's brand. It's like the Pepsi to Coke kind of thing. Right, yeah. Yeah, Kellogg's, uh, it was, you know, their brand flakes, and they considered their their rival to Wheaties. And it was produced until the late 70s, which means it certainly would have crossed over into into my childhood. I'm, I'm roughly your age, a little bit younger, and I, but I don't mean to advertise that. I don't know. They, it was funny because certainly in terms of advertising, my brothers and I remember all the cereals from, from when we were kids. To, uh, we very rarely had them in our house. We weren't a big cereal family. That was... Uh, 
It was something that was, except for Wheaties. Dad would have Wheaties and maybe occasionally some Raisin Bran. But what was interesting to me about the, the Pep cereal started in 1923. It's one of the first cereals that came around where they had, you know, touting the, the extra health benefits. Of course, it was a big, big deal for, uh, for Kellogg uh, and, and their whole their whole branding and their uh, health focus, you know, right or wrong. But it was amped up with vitamins. Uh, it was even advertised as having mildly laxative properties, which awesome. is a, which it's, you know, it's brand flakes. It makes sense. And I, you know, I, I see that and I sort of chuckle, but they realize, okay, now we see cereals and they, they add fiber and we tend yeah, to know I, I what mean, that's for. It's sort of the same a, thing. You know, entire yogurt lines that are supposed to help get things through. Right. Uh, so it's, and I can remember, gosh, for years they kept, pushing Uncle Sam uh, cereal, which I think is still available if you look around, but the, the primary ingredient of it was supposed to be because it, was, it had flax in it and it was supposed to be it makes a great bulk natural laxative. This, it, I guess you sell to an audience. And yeah, that's, exactly. That's where it goes. That's what you do. So in, in uh, the 40s, right about the end of World War II, they started putting these pinback uh, buttons. I, I think of them as buttons. Buttons or pins, however you prefer, into Pep cereal. And they started with... Uh, uh, like the squadrons out of the U.S. Army Air Forces, and uh, and then some of the newspaper comic characters, they really became associated with uh, the Adventures of Superman uh, on on radio. So they were they were a tight sponsor, and and of course, eat pep cereal, and you'll not only be a little bit more regular, but perhaps you'll be able to fly and you know stop bullets and that sort of thing. There was a great uh, some great photos on the web if you dig around and look at the pep pins. There was eighty something of these these great designs, uh, beautiful artwork of the day, sort of Dick Tracy, Superman man all kinds of stuff like that back when you know when you got a prize in cereal it was actually something kind of cool it wasn't an ad for more cereal <laughs> right exactly you know heat your ovaltine or drink more ovaltine for a while they went they rebranded pep as the sunshine cereal and then at some point i don't have an exact year but looking at the artwork you know going with late 50s into the early 60s they rebranded it the solar cereal so kellogg's pep the solar cereal and they became a sponsor of uh of the Tom Corbett, Tom Corbett Space Cadet uh, radio show and then TV show. And the artwork on these boxes uh, is just fantastic. I think anybody who likes the aesthetic of the Rocketeer, you know, what if you extrapolated that aesthetic from 1938 and the Rocketeer and went to about 1957, where you start seeing spaceships and bubble helmets and, and these amazing rockets with these big swept wings. and Well, those uh, Ch- Chesley Bonestell kind e- of... Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, very much right out of the Chesley Bonestell playbook. There's some... There, there's there's even one with some jetpacks, and there's somebody, you know, an astronaut flying around Jupiter on one of these. Great, great looking art, and and unfortunately, the kind of thing that makes me want to go out and round up some old boxes of Pep cereal, which is <laughs> the absolute last thing I need to do is start collecting something like this. But it's uh, it's very cool stuff. Yeah, this there was so much entertainment in boxes of cereal back then. It really was. I do have a book somewhere in my library that is just uh, just cereal box art. Probably about the only one out there that's really been done definitively on it. I wish I could, actually I could spot it on the shelf. My headphones won't reach to tell you the author, but it is. If you're interested in this kind of thing, take a look for that book. And uh, it's it's a great tour through all this wonderful art and just look back at a different times. It all went downhill when they switched from the word sugar to the word golden. Yes. You know, I, miss, I miss sugar smacks. Right. Miss, uh, yes, exactly. Sort of golden uh, Sugar smacks. crisps and things like that. Yep. Yeah. And then, then we're ashamed of, ashamed of sugar. Yeah. I mean, you have a, there was a, you know, there, one of the mascots was sugar bear. Right. <laughs> kind of, He's like Golden Bear. He's Sugar Bear. He's Sugar so, Bear. And, just a, just and, a tragedy. And then his cousin was on Starsky and Hutch or something. Somehow yeah. that all... <laughs> That all tied together. <laughs> Paul Michael Glazer did so much to change the world. 
That's what I've always said. So we're watching, uh, he gets the gum in the right spot on the nacelle. Cliff said, stand back. <laughs> right. <laughs> What'd you say? Which yes. is, you know, never walk toward an engine. And yet we're we're continuing to establish that uh, that trope that when when Cliff takes off, PV has to be knocked PV over. Has, yeah, yeah, but that's, uh, that's for that's for another day. That's true. We're not quite uh, not quite there yet. And I, I noticed in this last scene, we're looking at the back of the bulldog. We're looking at the bulldog's haunches or whatever it is. Oh the, yeah, the that's true. He's walked out of the back of the bulldog's neck. <laughs> which yeah, not a phrase then, I expected to use yeah. today when I got out of bed. But so he gets out there with a the little porthole uh, kind of door, yeah, and a carefully carefully crafted cove door. I wouldn't have imagined they would have spent that much time on it, but I guess it fit. So there they went. That's not right. an easy bit of carpentry. Well, it makes you wonder too. What uh, I don't know how much else we see of what else is up and back. Is there a little it, sitting area? Is there a ladder it, off the tail of the dog? I or think there's a I think there's a walk of stairs. There's somewhere okay. somewhere in many of the, possibly in the uh, official souvenir guide oh, sure. a, a schematic of this but i think there's a stairway that goes upstairs there it's just a place to put even more of those orange crates exactly you can never <laughs> have that. too many but as, as we talk with uh with billy he believes that that was a wild wall that they could remove and put on so that, oh. that may be how they filmed those scenes inside and then they just dropped in the last attachment here to get the final scene they could shoot the whole thing up in valencia without having to relocate the cast and crew isn't that amazing so uh clever yeah, idea amazing beautifully lit that very the very last frame that we're looking at in minute sixty one is uh, the rocketeer looking skyward, his fin carefully lit, just a, you know sparkling off the back of his uh, left nacelle there yep. as he's getting ready to ride. And it's great too when you look at the 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 lighting on the helmet. The helmet is you know is gorgeous, but uh, we see a few little sort of dimples and uh, you know and imperfections that remind us this was you know this was handmade on a kitchen counter. Yeah, and you know to to us it's this. You know, it's this magnificent relic. It's a wonderful work of art. This is perfect uh, Art Deco, a uh, bit of Art Deco aesthetic, but uh, but very nice to see just a little bit of. It. And I don't think this is this isn't prop quality hardware coming through. I think that's very purposeful that the metal is going to be just a tiny bit uneven, and you know, because PV was peening it as we learned earlier. Yeah, thank it you was, very much. It, it's basically a B plus in shop class. So he, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he did okay in metalworking, and just you know, needs to work a little bit harder on his. Uh, fit and finish it's a great place to end this particular minute but a, a great start to the week here absolutely and, uh, we're gonna have uh am i right in assuming hang on let me see i was just yes i am right in assuming that tomorrow well you'll have to wait for the fanfare but i think we're gonna have right. a, a, a special guest on tomorrow another special episode and we will yeah and we will chat a little bit more about this uh take off and lift off and, and where where the rocketeer is headed next hopefully it's only a five minute drive but we'll, yeah. we'll see we can time it tomorrow uh for folks who want to talk some more about this particular minute or get in some uh, some more of their memories of gum and cereal <laughs> we're happy always to talk on social media uh so check us out all the usual places twitter rocketeer minute facebook facebook.com slash rocketeer minute find us on the big site rocketeer minute.com catch up on all the previous episodes Please, if you haven't subscribed already, we're in the second hour. You've really got to do this. Go out to either Google Play or iTunes, uh, type in Rocketeer Minute, and uh, two words, and click subscribe when our search results come out okay. And please uh, leave us a review. We just got another uh, wonderful review out there. Thank you very much. We do appreciate We read every every review out there. And we, uh, uh, Hal and I high-five each other. They like it. They really like us. So it always makes us feel good. So you want to keep making us feel good please leave a, a great review we always appreciate them very much so thank you thank you for those who have left reviews i just want to let you know that your appreciation is appreciated uh, but join us here tomorrow we'll talk some more about the rocketeer and uh, as we watch liftoff uh, here on the rocketeer minute so until tomorrow over and out